0: Welcome to this week's Thirsty Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a theme of a time for faithful service. Before we get started, you might notice that something is missing that's been uh, on our podcast the last few weeks, and that's the humming or the buzzing. And we thank uh, those that reached out to us and told us that that was there. Uh, there's a lot of things that are probably bothersome with our podcasts, like our voices. But, ha. <laughs> That, that's necess- unnecessarily
1: bothersome is that humming or buzzing. Yes, we, uh, we managed to take the, the hummerfish from the Lorax that were hanging out in the pit of despair <laughs> are out of the room.
0: Yeah, and it ended up being something really simple to be able to uh, fix it, but it still took us 45 minutes with our AV
1: guide to figure it out. And I think we proved once again just how technologically illiterate some of us are.
0: Yeah, we are neophytes when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, So we're going to be talking about, like I said, a time for faithful service, looking especially at the gospel lesson, uh, as Jesus is talking about the faithful service of the master's two servants. We'll get to that later on. We want to start with the first reading from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What do your many sacrifices mean to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough rams as burnt offerings and enough fat from well-fed animals. I am not pleased with the blood of bulls or the blood of lambs and male goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked for this from your hands, this trampling on my courts? Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense is an abomination to me. I cannot stand your sinful assemblies on the new moon, Sabbaths, and holy days. Deep in my soul, I hate your new moons and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Indeed, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Purify yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Seek justice for the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. And it's that last verse, verse 16, I think a lot of us know pretty well. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like, well. But we probably don't know the context of those verses because uh, the preceding verses are important to get to that forgiveness. So, Nathan, what is the context of these verses?
1: So the context here is God is dis- expressing his displeasure over the the kind of wrote worship that the Israelites were doing. They were they were doing the things that they were supposed to. They were bringing their offerings to the Lord, but there was no joy. There was no belief there. They were simply doing these things because well, that's what we're supposed to do and so we'll go through the motions and we'll do it grudgingly, but there was no love. There was no faith.
0: Yeah, and to think about this of what God had done for his people, that out of all of the peoples of the earth, God had chosen Israel to be his nation. Even before they were a nation, he chose Abraham, and then from Abraham, Isaac, and from Isaac, Jacob, and then from Jacob, his 12 sons, and then they are in Egypt. And then 400 years later, they're coming out of Egypt after being slaves. They come into the promised land of Canaan, and they have this new land that's flowing with milk and honey centuries later god gives them a king against uh, his better judgment Uh, eventually they have king david as the height of their kingship and royalty as well as solomon and then it goes downhill and we've got all of these gifts of god's grace that he has given to his people and what do they do they are sacrificing their children to molech they are worshiping with uh, by having sex with temple prostitutes, with uh, Asherah. They are worshiping the fertility god for their crops and their animals with Baal. You know They might have been worshiping the fish god of Dagon of the Philistines. All of this uh, that they get involved in, and then like you said, Nathan, and then they're just going through the motions, bringing later on we hear from Malachi that they're crippled and diseased animals to the Lord. And what's striking is where this is in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 1. So right away, God is laying into his people through his prophet, uh, and this is going to be the reason, one of the reasons why they are carried off into captivity.
1: And I think this is a good illustration, too. You see things here that from outward appearances are good works. Like if we were just looking at people bringing their offerings in the Old Testament to the temple, bringing their sacrifices, that looks like someone is doing a good work. But without faith, even those outward good works are sins in God's eyes. And how he even talks about the things that the people were commanded to do in the law, that they have become an abomination to him because they're not being done in faith. And so anything not done in faith is a sin.
0: And so in application, this would be like the one talent servant in the gospel lesson. So you're not preaching on this text. So how would we, if you or I were preaching on this text, how would we apply this?
1: Well, I think we would talk about an application would be like, are there things in our lives that we, we do because we know we, we have to, um, we put our offering in the plate every week because, well, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really want to do this. Um, are, are we doing things joyfully or are we going through the motions because that's what expe- is expected of us? And I think we have to be a little bit careful on the application here because you're not saying that people don't have, have faith, but you're trying to get to that sin of having, you know, a poor attitude towards doing service to God and trying to root out that specific sin.
0: Right, and... We just had some uh, long and difficult conversations with our executive committee and then our church council members for our budget for the new year, and trying to figure out how do we create a balanced budget, which we have to do based on our constitution, when it's going to be several tens of thousand dollars short between projected offerings and uh, what we, the kind of ministry work that needs to be done here. And, you know, we're going to be bringing it before our people. And what was great in listening to our leaders is saying, when we bring this to our people, is to say, we, we want you to consider increasing your offerings, but not to meet the budget. That's not the goal. It's to look at what you're giving and to see. And we could, we could talk strongly, you know, is it rote? Are you like the typical Christian in America that gives uh, about two and a half percent. That's what whether it's Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, whatever, if you average everything out, it's about two and a half percent. And the leader who was talking about this said, what would uh, what would we accomplish in God's
1: kingdom here at Water of life if people gave a tithe? And I, I think I understood the intent behind that, but it's hard sometimes, you know when talking to people, uh, you think of example of Jesus talking about the widow's might. And I think of some of our members who may be on a, a fixed income um, that when inflation goes up, their costs go up, but they don't have any additional money. And so sometimes asking certain people to say, well, you just need to increase giving because that's showing good stewardship. Well, maybe they, they can't do that. And so it's it's careful that we're not crushing People's faith with the law, who are, who are really are being faithful stewards of what they have been given, um, and that's where we'll talk about the parable of the talents in a little bit. But each of us has been given different gifts, and how that's applied in different life is how people's lives is how they practice stewardship. Maybe they're not financially gifted, but they are able to serve, and so they come and do things in the church, and that's their offering to God.
0: And one of the reasons I think that people don't tie, they don't give 10% is because they haven't tried it. They haven't challenged it. And that's when we're going to be doing a 10 for 10 series in January and February at our congregation. It's a series that the Wisconsin Synod came out with several years ago. And the idea is to challenge our people to give 10% for 10 weeks and then to see where it goes after that. If they go back to two and a half percent or whatever they were giving, well, then that's what they decide to do, but to challenge them. And that's what God is doing here is challenging his people. Don't just give out of rote uh, rote giving because this is what you're used to doing. Uh, give because it's from the heart. Uh, and so maybe it might be less, but it's uh, with a glad... And joyful heart, or like you said, getting involved in different ways of ministry. And uh, for example, I was just downtown at one of our restaurants where some of our Wells members own it. And uh, his name is Manny. And uh, I'm setting up a cooking class with Manny. I could do it with Pastor Klusmeyer. He knows how to cook very well too. But we're going to do a cooking class with Manny for our teens. And the idea is he is a very gifted Uh, chef for Spanish food. And we're going to challenge our teens to come and then cook their own Spanish meal and so forth. But Manny is going to be doing this. There's no money involved except what the teens bring to pay for the, the food and so forth. But the idea is he is using his talent, not a money thing, but a physical talent. And then to challenge our people, what can you do? And it might be because there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs that need to be accomplished in a church. It Can be just simply counting money. It can be greeting people. It can be uh, bringing coffee and Kringle to people. It can be offering rides to people. Uh, it can be making phone calls, uh, sending out emails, folding bulletins. There's lots of different things that our people can do. But part of it is they don't know about it. We don't. And then another thing is. Uh, they don't think about it. They just think coming to church and then hanging out for a few minutes,
1: going back home, that's their duty to God for the week. And that's what Paul talks about at the end of the uh, the lesson from Romans for this week where he just kind of lists out, not, not a long list, but several examples of gifts that have been given. And it's like if you have this gift, then then use it faithfully. Whatever it is, God's given that to you as a trust to use in service to his kingdom. Do you want
0: to talk about your frustration with your catechism students and them not using their gifts faithfully?
1: He's rubbing his
0: his head in frustration because I've been busy all day with with things. I came in, got set up for the recording, and Nathan comes in and starts lamenting with his frustrations with these 8th graders.
1: They they are given a very light yoke. They're expected to do... Two Bible passages a week, one section of the catechism, so either a commandment or the first article or something like that. And then they're given two written assignments, which is basically writing three paragraphs. They have two of those each week. So they're being asked to write six paragraphs total for the week. Uh, They had a lesson due yesterday. Yep. Um, I had to take my wife to a doctor's appointment, so Pastor Zarling covered my class. And of the the 17 students I had in that class, two of them Mm. turned in their homework. And then now several of them are lamenting the fact that I was mean and listed their assignments as missing, that they didn't turn in. That's somehow my fault. Um, And actually, interestingly enough, that fits in with the gospel lesson with with the— the unfaithful servant accusing his master of being <laughs> of being unmerciful, of reaping where he did not sow and gathering where he did not scatter seed. And again, it's yeah. And and when I talk to the students, I'm always
0: very gracious. You're coming down a little harder sooner, which is good. It's but, been it's been three
1: weeks of yeah. me being gracious.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I la- usually last a little longer. And what I told the students at the end of the quarter was the same thing you've said at the beginning of the quarter. I said, if you don't get your homework done by uh, Wednesday when the quarter ends, I'm not accepting it. Then they go in as lates. And I probably should have been uh, on them a little harder during the the first quarter. But the idea was, and I said this, is I have been very gracious with you with late homework, not even uh, docking any percentages or anything. But do not abuse my grace because it will come to an end. And here's the date when it comes to an end. And then I apply it with God. So God is very gracious to us. And yet there comes a time, we don't know when that time is, when his grace will end. When you harden his heart to you, he may just end up hardening your heart like he did with Pharaoh. If you don't want to use the gifts that he's given you, then he may take those gifts and give them elsewhere to someone else so do not abuse his grace do not abuse
1: my grace and see i gave them oh i gave them a week and a half to turn their one assignment in and i told them if it's not in by this date you're getting a zero on it well and then i was even gracious after that a couple of them a week later turned it in and i gave them half mm-hmm. the points but the rest i'm just like all right fine that's i'm taking it off it's not missing anymore It's just a zero. Yeah. And there's not a tremendous amount of grades in the class, and so a zero can really, really affect that grade really quickly to miss points like that. But but what we're talking
0: about with eighth graders and so forth, it applies to all of us when we don't use the talents that God gives us. Whether that's monetarily to support God's kingdom, whether that is spiritually and praying for for uh God's kingdom work for the people in our congregation, praying for our pastors and teachers, doing whatever we can to support God's ministry, or just being faithful parents, children, Christian citizens, and so forth. But that's where we get to those last uh, last two lines. That even though God's people of the Old Testament, even though God's people, meaning us, are not faithful, God is always faithful with His forgiveness. Though your sins are like scarlet, uh, though they're red as crimson, so being colorblind, I'm glad he describes what those colors are. So I'm I'm assuming a deep red color. Yes, yes. So even though you can't get those colors out of white clothing, uh, they shall be as white as snow. They shall be like wool. Not because God just dismisses them and says, "All right, I'm good and gracious." You know, all right, I'm going to still give you an A in the grade book, uh, even though you didn't earn it. No, he gives us the A in the grade book, even though we didn't finish the work, but because someone else finished the work, not by cheating, but because God's son did the work and applied it to us.
1: We're really stretching this metaphor (laughs) quite a bit today. No, I was going to say one of the other things um, I've thought of from a stewardship standpoint Uh, We've had a little bit trouble. We had a couple gentlemen step up, but I've heard other congregations, like one of the things, all of us have people in our churches that have been given the gift of leadership. And unfortunately, so many people are unwilling to use that gift in God's service, and it's always so hard. Uh, I know at my previous church, um, the church I vicared at, trying to find enough people for church councils to do the work of the congregation and People say, well, you know, I've got this going on in my life. I have that going on in my life. And I think we can, we can all say the same thing, but, you know, we need to use the gifts that God has given in service to his church and to step up and to lead. Yep. Anything else on the Old Testament lesson? No, again, other than it really is just striking how much God detests going through the motions. Um, in worship to him, of not doing things for the right reasons. And again, if we if we have faith, I mean, that's the joy of grace and forgiveness in Christ that even, you know, anything we do is tainted by sin, but because Christ has covered it over, our good works become pleasing to God. But still, God despises that attitude of grudging service. Yeah, and then because you have to have a movie reference, at least I do, that
0: Though your sins are like scarlet, red as crimson, the image that comes to mind is toward the end of the movie Carrie. Do you remember that movie?
1: I've never actually seen Carrie. Okay.
0: So in Carrie, a Stephen King novel and then a movie. Uh, Carrie is at the prom and then blood, or at least red paint, something like that, uh, comes down on her. And then, and then she goes crazy because she has these powers and so forth. But the idea is she's covered in red. That's what our sin is. And yet this imagery is Jesus Christ washes all of that away with his crimson and scarlet blood. That was the uh, first reading from All Saints Day, Revelation chapter 7, that the white robes of the saints are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And he makes them as white as snow,
1: white like wool. I always have found that imagery, you know, interesting that, you know, as someone who does the laundry for his children and knows how hard it can get to be to get blood out of clothes that were made white by the blood of Christ. And that even in the Old Testament, when the priest would sprinkle the people with blood— that was symbolizing cleansing, even though then they would be stained by that, that blood. It's such a powerful picture to be washed in the blood of Christ. There you go. Oh, you want to get into the gospel lesson? You want to read that? Yeah. From the gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 25. You see, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to still another one talent each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. The servant who had received the five talents immediately put them to work and gained five more talents. In the same way, the servant who had received the two talents gained two more. But the servant who had received one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The servant who received the five talents came and brought five more talents. He said, "'Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents.' His master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master.' The servant who received the two talents came and said, "'Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more talents.' His master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. So I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master.' Then the servant who received one talent came and said to him, "'Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Since I was afraid, I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours.' His master answered him, "'You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter seed?' Well, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers so that when I came I would get my money back with interest. Take the talent away from him and give it to the servant who has the ten talents. Because everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But the one who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Throw that worthless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So a little background
0: on this. that uh, This is tuesday of holy week that jesus is in the temple courtyard teaching all day long and he's teaching on matthew chapter 24 and 25 about the end times matthew 24 is about uh if you see these signs like persecution the love of people growing cold the gospel being spread to all the nations you're dragged before kings and courts and councils and so forth uh earthquakes famines uh Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Uh, Would you see those signs? <laughs> that, that is uh, the end times. And then— Enough, enough. I get the picture. <laughs> and Then in Matthew 25, he tells the parable of the ten virgins we talked about last episode, and then this parable, and then he talks about Jesus as judge. And so it's in that context of the end times he is talking about this story about these talents. And a a talent, uh, even the smallest one, one talent was uh, 6,000 days wages or what a day laborer would earn in 20 years of work. So that's a lot of money that even the one single servant was given. And you know, One way of thinking of this, too, is how much this master really appreciated his servants to give them that much money instead of giving it to his children, instead of giving it to a banker uh, to, to do all this work. He gives them to his servants. And then the idea is the master, obviously, is Jesus, and then we are the servants. So I know you're going to be preaching on this, so what kind of other things should we learn
1: from this text? Well, I think it's interesting to note, too, that— the master gave to the servants what was within their their ability. Um, he didn't go and give, you know, the one who had one talent, he didn't give him five because he knew he couldn't handle that. That wasn't a judgment against that servant. It was just expressing the reality that he, but he was given what he was able to work with, and yet he wasn't even willing to do that. He went away and hid it. Um, and so I really kind of talk about how, you know, we're all given different talents and abilities to use. We have been given these to use in service to God's kingdom, and yet there are times that we, we have not used those talents. And I took this as an opportunity to talk briefly about sins of omission, of failing to do good, and how that's just as much a sin as when we deliberately do something evil. Um, That we're not always faithful with what God has given us, whether that's money or whether that's um, spending time in the church, whether that's being a good parent, where we want to be selfish with what we've been given. And so we're not faithful servants that we all have at times in our life been like that wicked servant and have hidden and used for ourselves the gifts that we've been given.
0: Do you touch on stewardship at all in this in this sermon then?
1: I get to it at the end in sanctification, talking about using what we've been given in service to God. Um, again, I was trying to keep it under 1,600 words because uh, someone keeps <laughs> having excessive— well, they're not excessively. Yeah. They are longer sermons than yeah. I've been striving for. I, so
0: I make sure that Nathan knows— uh, how long my sermons are compared to his. So his, his was 1,600-plus words, and it was 19 minutes. My previous sermon was 1,800 words, and it was uh, under 14 minutes. But one of us talks a little faster than the other one, especially in the last sermon I was pretty excited about some of the things I was, I was saying. Uh, and, and with that, you know, I, I talked to Nathan, too, about preaching and that— now I'm really trying to tell stories. And it's interesting, after preaching for 27 years, I've gone through different iterations of my style of preaching. And my style of preaching right now is telling stories, one, one story per sermon, and trying to, whether it's a, a, a real story uh, of members or people I know, maybe it's a, sto- a biblical story or so, a historical story and so forth. So a couple of stories I'll share with you as we go back and forth here. But this one just came up in that we have baptized three children a few weeks ago. And then I happened to see on Snapchat the mom, Stacy, uh, who is about three weeks away from being confirmed with her husband, Justin. But on her Snapchat story, she was talking to people looking for advice that when her daughter goes to school, full-time next year if we have all-day 4K, uh, that she might go back to teaching. And so I just snapchatted her back and said, have you thought about teaching in the Wisconsin Synod? She said, I would love that. So uh, I talked with one of our members who is in Lutheran schools at Synod office to see if what he can do in connecting her and possibly getting her on a call list. She would become Synod certified through classes, online classes at Martin Luther College, but just the story of here is a lady that had been involved in pagan and Mormon religions that were not Christian to uh, being on fire for the Lord as the Holy Spirit converted her through the message in our school and the church, and now, Lord willing, God may use her as a teacher in our school. And in talking with our member, Paul Patterson, uh, at, at Senate office, this is really something I, I really want to encourage all of you who are listening, to. If you or someone you know is thinks that you have the gifts, the talents, again, not necessarily money, but the talent to be a teacher, a pastor, a staff minister, and maybe you've done something else and maybe like the real world for a time, maybe maybe even taking a long time, like one, two, 14 years off and then deciding to come back or even not come back, but just, I want to try something new, something spiritual, because whatever you're doing is obviously important, but when you're involved in church work, God's kingdom work, that has eternal benefits. So consider yourself or others that may have spiritual gifts and then use those talents in God's corner of the Wisconsin Senate, a pastor teacher, staff minister.
1: And it is very good to encourage people to use those gifts. Um, Not that in whatever vocation they're serving, and they're not serving the Lord using other talents they have, but sometimes they just need to be spurred on uh, to do some of the public ministry. That's where I was at. Um, I had been working for my father after leaving the seminary, and I had a very good friend who finally said, enough, enough you are going back to the seminary. Stop wasting time. You have the gifts. That's where you belong. And I I needed to hear that. And it was really what spurred me on to go back uh, to leave my career and to go back to the seminary at age 37 and finish what I had started, yeah, 14 years before.
0: Yeah. And I just told this story to someone uh, yesterday that my, my wife, Shelly, noticed this at Pastor Klusmeyer's Reformation Sermon, our Unity Sunday, where he talked about taking 14 years off and deciding to go back to the seminary in July of 2019. And what's interesting is that February and March of 2020 is when I and the other pastor at New Hope on the north side that eventually became our Caledonia campus, started talking with our people and leaders about, uh, about merging the two congregations. And what's interesting, after two and a half years of calling for a second pastor, 16 calls, three times going to the seminary, that while we were waiting for the right pastor, that God had Nathan in mind to be our pastor half a year or more before we ever decided that we would need a second pastor because God knows what his people are going to need. And, and I've told Nathan especially this week because I've been... God's been blessing us at Water of Life so richly. I am now teaching uh, four adult confirmation classes plus two other classes during the week and everything else I got to do with outreach I'm going man am I glad God gave you to me because I couldn't do all this uh
1: without him. Well, mm-hmm. thank you Michael. And I do enjoy being able to support you in this aspect of ministry because Yeah, God is blessing what we're doing here, that we have so many new people that are coming, hearing the word or being reconnected to the word who may have strayed uh, for a while. And, you know, sometimes it feels like that's the the glamorous side of ministry. But there are those of us who really also enjoy the unglamorous side (laughs) of ministry, except when the copier is being difficult and is making smears on my Thanksgiving bulletins.
0: Yep. It is, it is a, uh, a servant that is not using its talent very well. Uh, t- two more stories that came to mind today in talking about using talents. One has been sainted just recently. Uh, so the other day, Pastor called me up, or Nathan called me up and said, Hey, do you know— It was a week ago now. A week ago. Do you know who Clara is? Yes, I have no idea who that is. And part of it is, I thought he was asking in our Church 360, our online database, we're trying to clear things up of people that were put in there, of uh, maybe uh, inactive members from New Hope uh, when we merged, or maybe it was prospects and so forth. And then I said, no, I don't know who that is. And he said, well, we have a check here from Wells Foundation for over $69,000 from Clara's Trust. And then one of our members texted me who Clara was, that she had passed away just before I came here and passed directly at First Eve and had done the funeral. And here was a faithful servant. Uh, she and her husband were leaders in our congregation, then Epiphany, and they set up uh, their trust. And so they gave money to Epiphany and Shoreline Lutheran High School in that trust. I don't know who, if there were anyone else, but... Uh, that's something that when we do the 10 for 10, that I'll probably emphasize to say, here are different ways you can use your talents. It can be your online giving, uh, easy tithe with our our congregation. Other churches use different uh, means of online giving. It can be the the bulletin. I mean, it can be the, the offering envelope. One of my teens, when I asked him if he wanted offering envelopes, At first, he said yes, and then he talked to me in person. He said, Pastor, do you mind if I just give my offerings every week in Shoreland for chapel? I said, no, that's fine. You can do that. And then he's a senior, and then to see what he wants to do wherever he is in campus ministry. Here's a young man figuring out how and where do I use my talents, and then to encourage our people uh, to think financially too. Some give through their tax, th- through their IRA, and all these other really smart ways of giving money. I don't know. But even uh, in uh, in a Wells Foundation, it's in your will and so forth. And that's something I encourage my parents to do and said, hey, you give a tithe now to the Lord. Give a tithe in your, uh, in your will as well. Uh, give 10% back to the wisconsin or if you want to give it to the church where i'm a pastor at uh and and there i talk about my my grandfather it didn't my my dad wasn't really happy about this because he thought that he was going to get my grandfather's estate his farm and be able to farm it and my my grandpa willed it to cut lutheran high school and i don't know how much money that was but that was a big and significant gift to be able to fund the wonderful ministry they're doing in that area, Lutheran High School.
1: I like emphasizing when I have the opportunity to, um, we do live in a financially driven culture, probably more so than at most points of history. And so that is the way most people are able to practice stewardship. But I do like pointing out to those people who I think of the, a couple of families we have that every every Sunday, they are faithfully preparing snacks and coffee for fellowship. That's an act of stewardship. That's giving of their time to give opportunities for others to strengthen and encourage one another.
0: Yeah. And I have one more story too, because I just visited uh, Trudy today. Uh, She is in hospice care uh, up in Waukesha, and I'm in Racine, so it was a it was a drive, but it was good to go and visit with her. I was able to wake her up enough to uh to to have a devotion with her about the saints in heaven, Revelation seven, and then uh to do Psalm twenty three, and she said about half of it with me, and then to pray the Lord's prayer, take communion. But what I'll mention. Uh, when I do her funeral, and and I'll, I'm going to read Matthew 25. When I go see her on Sunday, I texted her daughter Paulette when I was before I left, and I said um, I'm going to come back on Sunday when I pass through. Said so I'm going to be going to the Packer game, and so I hope she doesn't mind if I'm wearing my Packer gear instead of my pastor gear. Uh, I think
1: that's almost the same. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's green and gold. It's almost the church colors, but. What, what I would mention in Trudy's funeral sermon is how uh, she and her husband over 50 years ago were instrumental in using their gifts, like you're talking about, Nathan, to get new hope started. You know, they were there with a couple other people. Uh, I think it was only like four to six people that they started with. And they found this land on the north side of a scene we call Caledonia. They were able to pick six acres. That's just crazy. You know, six un- unused acres for anything and then have the dream. We're going to take this barn down and we're going to put a church there instead. We're going to take that barn wood and we're going to turn that into uh, the wood that we're going to use to make an altar and pulpit and lectern and baptismal font Uh and Trudy is that faithful servant. the Lord willing, is only a few days away from getting her white robe and palm branch and golden crown and standing before the throne of the Lamb who made that all possible. And then, for her to hear her her master say to her, "Well done, my good and faithful servant.
1: Come and share your master's happiness." And that's kind of how. That's the one. Actually, that's how I end my sermon. Uh, But after I talk, I found a really great Luther quote, because this is very much, again, another sanctification sermon. Um, And I found a great Luther quote that talked about how we do good works, that as Christians, we're not asking the question, what good work should I do to make God happy? We're already doing them. That by the time we've asked the question, we've already done good works, that we simply cannot stop doing them. Um, and that this is mostly just a reminder to make the most out of the opportunities that we've been given, to make the most out of the gifts that we've been given, to use them in service to God, and to know the joy, both that we have in hearing those words, well done, good and faithful service, but then also the joy we have, the joy that we can see in others' faces as we serve them.
0: Yeah, so one last thing here, what you're thinking of, uh, that service, I was in the Oh, third grade classroom today. I had to get a, a picture with my birthday buddy. And then uh, the teacher, Ms. Bouchkoff, gave me some cards for pastor appreciation and so forth. And it was commented that most of them are to me <laughs> just because the kids know me uh, better. They've known me longer. But she said, well, at least one of them wrote a card to Pastor Klusmer because
1: he felt sorry that you weren't getting any cards. Yeah. <laughs> Always play the sympathy card. That's yes. the reason I'm married.
0: Uh, or, or I told the catechism students in eighth grade uh, the other day, when I to fill in for Nathan, I said, "I hear that uh, someone's trying to start a Pastor Klusmeyer is better than Pastor Zarling club." And I said, "We're not going to let that happen because we all know the truth on that."
1: Yeah, and I'm going to guess after this week they don't, they don't feel that way <laughs> <No>. anymore.
0: <laughs> No. Uh yeah, they're going to go yeah, pastors we thought Pastor Zarling was hard. He was a he was a hard master, but you're way harder, Pastor Klusmeier. And then I'm going to say to you, well done, good and
1: faithful servant. I am reminded of was that Solomon's son that my father beat you with whips, but I shall beat you with scorpions. Ah, nice. <laughs> All right, anything else on this text or, or do you want to make that the last word? That's a good that's a good word to All end right. on.
0: All right. So be faithful. Uh, make use of God's means of grace. Go to church on Sunday, uh, Saturday night, Monday evening. Whenever your, your your church is having their worship service, go to your pastor's Bible study. Receive the sacrament. Remember your baptism. That, that's what's really been entrusted to you. Those are the spiritual talents he's giving you, and to be able to use those elsewhere. Be faithful so that today and the next day and then for an eternity of days, Jesus, your master, can say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. So this is Pastor Michael Zarling with Pastor Nathan Klusmeyer at Water of Life Lutheran Church in Racine in Caledonia. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.